Good day again and a blessed new year 2022 to all of you. And as the new year begins, we praise God for giving us this new year, a new beginning, and something that we can look forward to to experience God's blessing and God's presence in our life, in our family, and in our church. And we praise God also for giving us our new set of elders, our first set of elders for CBCP, who will help our pastors lead our church. And we thank the Lord for raising up these godly leaders who will help us to guide us to strive faithfully so that we can pursue our church's mission to know God, love people, and make disciples. And so today we'll take a break from our sermon series on Ephesians. Instead, today's message will be from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. And the title is, The Path to Greatness. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. Let us read our text. Matthew 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This passage is familiar to many of us, but it is worth reviewing and studying once more. Now here's the main lesson of our passage today. Greatness in God's kingdom is gained through loving service and self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. Greatness in God's kingdom is gained through loving service and self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. To better appreciate this passage, let us look at its immediate context, starting in verse 17. It says, As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Note what verse 17 says. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. By this time, Jesus and his disciples were traveling towards Jerusalem to celebrate the coming Passover. They were likely traveling along with other families and groups. They're traveling together to make a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem to obey the law of Moses, which says in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the Feast of the Weeks, and at the Feast of Boots, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. In this instance, Jesus and his disciples were going up on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They were going to celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover, which occurs in the month of Nisan, which is around March or April in our calendar. The Feast of Weeks happens in the month of Sivan around May or June, and then the Feast of Booths or the Tabernacles occurs in the month of Tishri around September to October. 
Now, as Jesus was traveling with the other pilgrims, he took his 12 disciples aside and talked with them in private. He had something important to tell them. Jesus explained to them what would happen in Jerusalem. He was about to go through the most difficult moments of his life, and he was about to make the ultimate sacrifice of all. With this background in mind, let's go to our main passage. Verses 20 to 21. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Now, who are the sons of Zebedee? They were James and John. James and John were among the first disciples whom Jesus called. The brothers were also part of what scholars describe as Jesus' inner circle together with Peter. Why are they called Jesus' inner circle? Because we often find Jesus bringing just these three disciples with him. They were the ones who witnessed special events in his life, like when he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead, his transfiguration, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were with Jesus in his moments of glory and in his darkest trials. They were his closest friends. Now verse 20 tells us that the mother of James and John came to Jesus. Apparently, their mother was also traveling with them. We are told that she bowed before Jesus. The word bow down means to prostrate oneself in worship, to express an attitude of allegiance, or to act in reverence and fear. And bowing down is a position of deep reverence and humility. And before we continue, let's take a closer look at this woman. The gospel records to us that she is one of the female followers of Jesus, and her name is Salome. Some Bible scholars even suggested that this woman was the sister of Jesus' mother Mary. Thus, she is Jesus' aunt, and if so, James and John were Jesus' cousins. And when Jesus was being crucified, Scripture tells us that this woman in particular joined the other women. Matthew 27, many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Bible scholars agree that she is Salome, the woman who was mentioned by Mark in the Gospel. It says, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. And what's more, Salome did not just care for Jesus' needs during his ministry. He cared also for his needs even during his death. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him along with these two Marys. She became one of the first bearers of the good news that Jesus has risen. As you can see, the mother of the sons of Zebedee was a devout follower of Jesus. She loved Jesus, and being a good mother, she loved her sons as well. And so, what was her request? He told Jesus, and Jesus asked her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. This mother asked Jesus to let her son sit next to him when he reigned as king, one on his right and one on his left. In the Jewish custom, particularly in a banquet, the top two guests of honors are seated to the host's right and left side. And what Salome was asking was for Jesus to give her sons the two highest places of honor in the kingdom of God which of course would be the places of power and authority. Now think about it. The mother of James and John came to Jesus. She bowed down and worshipped him. That is good. She was on her knees before our Lord, praying on behalf of her two sons that she loved. And this act is excellent and praiseworthy. Mothers ought to pray to Jesus for their children. 
And her prayer also shows that she firmly believed that Jesus was the promised king that he would rule in his coming kingdom. But the problem lies with what she asked for and how she asked for it. As she prostrated herself before Jesus, she asked for Jesus and gave her request. In the verb, the word request means to beg or to ask with a sense of urgency, even to the point of demanding it. Note also the word that she used. She said to Jesus, command or say that my sons or name my sons to occupy the two seats next to you in your kingdom. It was a request that would make any mother proud and her sons would be very happy. But you see, in the original grammar, it is in, in the imperative. In other words, this woman was commanding Jesus what to do, even demanding it. Now, do you see the danger here? There's something that we can learn about parenting in this passage. You see, desiring what is good for our children becomes dangerous if our desires ends up standing in the way of God's will for our sons and daughters. For example, God may have a different calling or work for our children. Perhaps it's a calling that won't make them rich or glamorous as their friends, but it's an important calling nonetheless. Maybe God is not calling them to be a business owner, but to be a public school teacher, a social worker, a missionary, or even a pastor. Thus, as parents, our desire for our children's advancement must be held in check as we pray that God's will be done in their lives. So may God help us. Now, this story gets even more interesting. If we look at the parallel account in the Gospel according to Mark, Mark records that James and John were the ones who directly made this request to Jesus. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Now, how do we reconcile these two accounts? It tells us that though it was their mother who made the request, in essence, all three of them made the request. It means that the mother's desire was also the desire of the children. It's possible that James and John were the ones who convinced their mother to make the request. Now, it doesn't matter who came up with the idea first, whether it was the mother or the sons. The point is, all of them had the same desire. Now, this request for a position exposed the self-centered ambition of James and John. Earlier in chapter 19 of Matthew, Jesus already gave this promise to all of his disciples. Matthew 19, 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Did you hear that? Jesus said to his disciples that he would reward them with positions of honor, power, and authority for following him if they remained faithful. But for James and John, it seemed that that was not enough. They were not contented to receive equal status with the other ten disciples. They wanted more. They wanted to be number two and number three in Jesus' kingdom. And they did their best to secure that position through a backdoor negotiation by asking Jesus through their mother. Before Jesus assumed his throne, they wanted to secure their own positions. James and John tried to manipulate the situation to gain favor and get ahead of the other disciples. Perhaps they were thinking, surely Jesus wouldn't turn down the request of a woman, especially a woman who is a devout follower of him. In the same way, if we are not careful, we might think that we're doing good by praying and worshiping before Jesus, and yet our prayers may be self-centered and wanting Jesus to do it our way. 
Perhaps we may ask something from the Lord to the point of almost being demanding or manipulative. Friends, let's evaluate ourselves. How have you tried to manipulate God to gain favor from Him? Are you somehow manipulating God to get a promotion, close a business deal, or even be in a relationship in subtle and not-so-subtle ways? Reflect on your actions and your underlying motives. I remember my own story. In 2003, Michelle started working as a youth pastor in a parachurch organization. At that time, I was just about to graduate from college in UST. In my heart, I knew she was the one who I wanted to marry. But at that time, I was not yet ready emotionally and financially. And the other thing is, she did not feel the same way for me back then. So I had this thought and tried to bargain with God. Lord, if I become a pastor, would you let me, Michelle, be my wife? I knew it was a selfish and a childish request, and I was trying to manipulate my situation by bargaining with God. But praise God for His patience. The Lord was gentle with me as He helped me come to my senses. And with God's help, I fully surrendered my desire to Him. And so for the next nine years of my life, I did my best to focus on what God wanted me to do during that season. I worked as an engineer to support my family, and I just focused on serving Him. Then nine years after, in 2012, God graciously answered my prayers, minus the manipulation on my part. And less than a month after Michelle and I got married, God led me to quit my job to go to Bible school and eventually become a pastor. So friends, let us look at our hearts, reflect on our actions, and see what is the underlying motives behind our prayers and requests. May God help us. At this point, allow me to address the leaders and volunteers, and especially our newly appointed elders. Think about this question. Why did you accept the position of ministry leadership in the church? What's your motive and your reason for serving? Is it to please people? Is it to be popular or to be admired? Or is it not just to disappoint others? Or is it truly your desire to honor the Lord by serving Him and His people? Always remember this. Authority is given not for self-promotion or personal ambition, but for the advancing of God's kingdom and His mission. Authority is given not for self-promotion or personal ambition, but for the advancing of God's kingdom work and His mission. So may God help us. We need to constantly check that what we do for Christ is not for self-centered reasons. Remember, greatness in the kingdom of God is gained through loving service and self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did Jesus respond to the request given by the Seventy family? Let's look at verse 22. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. Jesus pointed out what was wrong with their request. First, their request revealed their ignorance. He said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Then Jesus directed his question to James and John. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? See, in the Old Testament, the image of the cup can symbolize God's blessing. For example, Psalm 23, my cup overflows. But most of the time, this imagery of the cup is used to represent in receiving God's wrath of judgment or His fierce anger. In Isaiah 51 and Jeremiah 25, it says, Wake up, wake up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk the cup of the Lord's fury. You have drunk the cup of terror, tipping out its last drop. In Jeremiah, this is the cup of wine of the wrath of God. 
And here in our passage, the cup has negative connotations as well. It represents suffering. The idiom to drink the cup means to undergo suffering or a difficult experience. You see, Jesus was about to drink the cup of God's wrath on behalf of his people to save them from their sins, which is connected to chapter 20, verse 28. And here, Jesus asked James and John if they would be able to drink the cup that he was about to drink. And their reply was, we are able. You see, this showed that Jesus was right. James and John were clueless. And their reply showed that they misunderstood Christ. Jesus asked them if they are prepared to suffer as deeply as he was about to. Remember, he just told them moments ago that all suffering would go shortly through and that he will be condemned to die and that he will be mocked and scourged and crucified in Jerusalem. And what were James and John thinking? It's not suffering, but sitting on thrones. It's not about sacrifice, but it's about status. And to their reply, Jesus answered. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Amazingly, Jesus did not rebuke James and John, but he gave them two answers, one positive and one negative. Jesus affirmed and predicted that both James and John would also drink the cup of suffering. They also would share the sufferings of Christ. And it was like Christ saying to them, You want greatness? Nothing wrong with that. But do you know what it costs? It will come with suffering. You see, during this time, Salome along with James and John failed to realize that the path of the throne or the path of greatness is the path of suffering. The path of greatness is the path of suffering. And if Salome fully understood what Jesus meant here, she might have been devastated because not very long after Jesus' death, Salome would lose one of her sons. Let's look at the life of James. You see, James would be the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. He was the first disciple to drink from the martyr's cup. Acts 12.1 tells us, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. How about the apostle John? Church history tells us that John was the only apostle who did not die as a martyr. But also church tradition tells us that John was the apostle who lived the longest. However, he suffered significant persecution because of his faith in Christ. Look at these verses in Acts 4.3 and 5.40. And they, the religious leaders, laid hands on them, Peter and John, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 40. And they took his advice, and after calling his apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the same name of Jesus, and then released them. And then, in his old age, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Revelation 1.9 I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. Because of what? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see, John suffered for Christ until his last breath. Sadly, many believers want a crown without a cross. But we need to remember that our Christian life is to follow the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross always comes before a crown because the path of greatness is a path of suffering. So may God help us. Next, Jesus also gave a negative reply. Jesus told them plainly that he could not grant them their request. Why? Because he said that it is not for him to give it. It is only God the Father who has the authority to grant that which they seek. And so when Jesus said to James and John, to sit on my right hand and to my left is not mine to give, but for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. 
So Jesus was showing the disciples that he was under the authority of the Father. Jesus was showing or telling them that he was submitting to the Father's will and he was not seeking greatness outside of God's will. And this is something that we need to learn. As Charles Spurgeon tells us, how thoroughly did our Lord take a lowly place for our sakes. In this laying aside of authority, he gives us a silent rebuke to our self-seeking. And this is the other lesson that we can learn from this passage, that the path to greatness is the path of submission. The path to greatness is a path of submission. Now from verse 22 onwards, we would no longer hear from Salome. But the next time we see her, as we've learned earlier, she's one of the women who would see Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. And when Salome sees Jesus enthroned and crowned as king of the Jews at the cross, she won't see thrones on his right and on his left. Instead, she will see two crosses with two criminals crucified with Christ. As Matthew 27, 38 tells us, the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Both criminals won't be sharing in Jesus' glory and power. Instead, both thieves will suffer shame and death with Christ. Now, let's go back to our text. Remember, Jesus was also with the other disciples. They saw and heard everything. And how did they react? Matthew 20, 24. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. After hearing the request and Jesus' reply, the other ten disciples got angry with James and John. Why? They got angry not because they have a righteous anger. The other disciples were angry because they didn't think of the idea first. They got upset because they also had the same ambition. And it was John and James who got ahead of them. All of them wanted to be the greatest and get the top positions. You see, they too did not get what Jesus was asking. They were clueless about what would happen to Christ and His way that the path to greatness is the path of suffering. Now imagine the scene. The ten disciples were arguing strongly against James and John. The request created tension and conflict among the disciples. But it also gave Jesus a wonderful opportunity to teach His disciples the path to true greatness. And take note, Jesus did not condemn their desire to become great. He did not say to his disciples, don't aim for greatness in the kingdom. Instead, Jesus just corrected their idea of how one can be great. So friends, think about it. There is nothing wrong about desiring to be great and aiming for glory because that is part of God's design for us when he created us. However, we need to make sure that the way we pursue glory and greatness aligns with God's way and not the way of the world. And this brings us to the next verse in verse 25. Jesus teaches us God's idea of greatness. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. To lord it over means to act in a way that shows and even flaunts one's importance, power, and authority over others. You see, another thing that was wrong about the request of Salome and her sons, besides their ignorance about God's path to greatness, their request reflected their worldly thinking. They were thinking similar to how Gentiles and even Jewish rulers lorded it over their subjects. James and John wanted to lord it over the other disciples. They reflected the ungodliness and the self-centeredness of their culture. In the same way, our culture today equates greatness with power, position, popularity, possessions, authority, and accomplishments. However, Jesus tells us and his disciples and his church this truth. It is not this way among you. Jesus tells us, it is not this way among you. 
Jesus reminds us that as the people of God, we should be different from the world. As we've learned last time in Ephesians, we are to walk differently by having a distinct way of life. We are to walk differently by having a distinct way of life. And that includes the values that we choose and how we define greatness and success. Jesus also adds in verse 26 to 27, It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Notice the parallel terms and phrases that Jesus used here. The word great corresponds to the word first, while the word servant corresponds to the word slave. In Greek, the word servant means the one who renders service, like an attendant or a waiter. And the word slave is a stronger term. It's the Greek word doulos, which means a person who has no freedom and is a legally owned possession by a master. Also notice the paradox that Jesus pointed out. Jesus says, if you want to be great, then be a servant. If you want to be first, then be a slave. And this lesson is another shocking statement the disciples heard from Christ. No one has ever equated greatness with being a servant, much more than a slave. But this is the way of God's kingdom. And if Jesus would teach us today, he would say this to us. If you want to be great, don't aim to be the boss. Instead, be the lowest paid employee. Don't strive to be the CEO if you want to be first. Instead, become the underpaid worker. Of course, Jesus uses hyperbole and exaggeration to drive home his point. And in reality, this is the truth that Jesus tells us. The path of greatness is the path of humble service. It is the path of humble service. So friends, reflect on your life. What are you aiming for? I'm sure all of us would want to be the boss or the CEO. And the opposite is true. None of us would like to be the lowest paid employee or even the underpaid worker. But Jesus tells us otherwise. Why? Because the path to greatness is the path of humble service. This incident is not the first time that Jesus thought about greatness. Look at Matthew 18 just two chapters earlier in our passage. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him to put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes a humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And just a few verses before our main passage, Jesus taught his disciples the parable of the vineyard laborers and this lesson. And the last shall be the first and the first last. Think about how quickly the disciples forgot their lesson. And like the 12, we too easily forget and we're slow to learn. So may God help us. Now it's interesting how Jesus used children, servants, and slaves to teach his disciples about greatness in the kingdom of God. Now, what do these groups have in common? The children, the servants, and the slaves? All of them have humble status. All of them are powerless and fully dependent on others. And this truth is what God desires for all of us, that we serve God and others in humility and complete dependence on the Lord. And this brings us to our last point. Jesus ends by offering himself as an example. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. The key words here in this verse are son of man, serve, and ransom. First, son of man. Again, note the paradox and the contrast that Jesus used here. Jesus named himself as the son of man. 
This title is based on Daniel chapter 7, which denotes eternal power, might, glory, dominion, and authority. Let's look at this verse. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Next is the word servant. Jesus connected this title, Son of Man, to the word serve or servant. And Bible scholars believe that Jesus is alluding here to the prophet Isaiah's description of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. Let's read some of the verses. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied and because of his experience. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. You see, this is the kind of kingship that Jesus had in mind. The great king is the suffering servant who would sacrifice his life for the many. And Jesus described and modeled biblical leadership from this upside-down perspective. Instead of using people to our advantage or lording it over others, we are to serve them in similar to what Jesus' mission, and that is to give his life away for the many. Now the third word is ransom. What does it mean? Ransom was the price paid to free slaves from their bondage. Jesus often told his disciples that he must die, but here he told them why. To purchase the freedom of his people and to redeem many from the bondage of sin and death. The disciples thought that as long as Jesus was alive, he could save them. But Jesus revealed that only his death would save them and the world. And here Jesus is offering himself not only his life, but especially his sacrificial death as the model of servanthood for all of his disciples to follow. And by doing this, Jesus teaches us that a great leader has a servant's heart. A great leader has a servant's heart. And also, our Lord shows us that the path to greatness is the path of sacrifice. It is the path of sacrifice. Friends, I don't know where you are right now in your spiritual journey. Perhaps some of you are not yet serving because you're afraid of committing or you don't want the discomfort of taking care of others. And for some, perhaps you are already serving the Lord for quite some time now. But you are already discouraged by the difficulties or overwhelmed by the many challenges. Regardless of your situation, I encourage you to focus your eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ and remember this truth. We love because God first loved us. We serve because Jesus first served us. And we sacrifice because Christ first sacrificed for us. God first loved us. Jesus first served us, and Christ first sacrificed for us. And you know, here in CBCP, we have these six core values. And one of our core values is servant leadership. May the Lord help all of us to grow in this area more and more as we apply what we've learned today. That greatness in God's kingdom is gained through loving service and self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the path of greatness is the path of suffering, so it's the path of submission, it's the path of humble service, and a path of sacrifice. So may God help us. Before we end, let me give you these questions to reflect on. Think about your life and think about the ways in which you could apply these lessons that we've learned today. What specific suffering is God calling you to embrace and endure as you serve Him through your family, through your school, business, or ministry? Second, in what ways can you submit to God's will during this season in your life? The third, what rights and privileges are you willing to sacrifice to serve your spouse, your children, or even to serve your classmates and co-workers and the people around you? The fourth, how can you live out Christ-like humility in your relationships and circles of influence? Fifth, what disciplines could you pursue to develop a servant's heart? And sixth, who are the people who could help you and encourage you in this journey? I hope all of us would learn to apply this lesson. That greatness in God's kingdom is gained through loving service and self-sacrifice modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for the beautiful message that you've reminded us, that you've taught us, Lord God, about your goodness, about your love, about the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing yourself, Lord, to die on the cross for our sins, to save us, to make yourself as a ransom so that all of us can be redeemed from the kingdom of darkness and be turned over the kingdom of light thank you so much oh lord help us to follow your way help us to to imitate you as you have sacrificed your life as you have served us help us to do the same back to you to honor you to serve you to worship you through our service to honor you with our lives as we also sacrifice our life for you and for others help us lord forgive us for many times that our our point of view has been so narrow. We only focus on ourselves, our comfort, our desires, our plans, goals, and dreams, building our own kingdom. Father, forgive us. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Many times we just focus on ourselves. But this is not the way that you've called us to walk. Help us, O oh God, to, to trust you. Empower us with your spirit to obey you wholeheartedly. To give our lives back to you. And to live for you and for others. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the leaders that you have raised up among us. Thank you for our leaders, especially our new set of elders. Help us, O oh God, to know your direction. Help us to faithfully follow you, to pursue the mission that you've given us, to know you, to know God, to love people and make disciples. Help us to be united as one church. Give us the power, give us the strength to endure and to finish well to start strong this year to press on and to finish well again for this year 2022 for many of us who are tired and discouraged empower us with your spirit help us to find rest in you comfort us oh god embrace us with your love help us to feel lord that your yoke is easy and your burden is light enable us oh lord to have a fresh uh, to experience a time of refreshing, anoint us, O God, empower us with your spirit, make us whole. For those of us who are sick, grant us healing, grant us wholeness, O God. Enable us to taste and see your goodness in this side of life. 
for those of us who are worried about our future, about our finances, about the things that we need to do. Help us, O God, to do things one step at a time. Grant us the peace. Grant us your presence. Give us your provision. Give us your daily bread. Enable us, O God, to trust in you and to see your hand. Give us more than enough. Bless us, O Lord, so that we can be a blessing to others. And Father God, this year, as we start the new year, we don't know what this year would bring. But all we ask you is that your presence would go with us and that you would set us apart. Help us, Lord God, distinguish us, Lord God, as your children, as your sons and daughters. Empower us, O God. Help us to walk by the Spirit. Help us to be united as a church. Help us to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have given us, that we have received from you. Thank you, Lord. We pray for our leaders. Continue to grant us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to, to know what to do as we face through uh, the challenges of this pandemic. Enable our leaders in the private sector, in the public sector, and, uh, and as a Filipino people. Grant us the wisdom, the strength, and the courage, and help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And in everything, may you alone be honored and glorified. Thank you so much. Thank you for today. Help us, O oh God, to live a life that is great in your sight, a life that is humble, that is a life of worship, a life of love, and a life of honoring you, O oh Lord. Thank you so much. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us. See you again next time. God bless us all.